0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, this morning, I'll be doing a Bible reading uh, from Colossians 3, uh, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with the compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through
1: him. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that there are three people uh, and these three people are given a challenge. There is a never-ending pot of their favourite soup before them. I wonder what your favourite soup is. Maybe you don't like soup. Uh, Maybe you love soup. The never-ending pot of their favourite soup before them. Now, there's only one difficulty. They have a giant wooden spoon attached to their arm. It's about one or two metres long. It's going to be, and so they set about trying to get to this soup because they're, they're famished, like they haven't eaten in weeks and they're really, really hungry and this is the soup that they love. And so you see these three people and they're dipping their spoon in and they're, they're kind of look, look, uh, trying to bend but they can't because it's strapped to their arm and they, they can't bend it to themselves and they're really, really hungry and they're all fighting to get this soup that they love and that they're longing for. And then someone comes along and says... What have you fed each other? What if instead of trying to focus on getting that soup, that glorious soup that you can't wait to have into your mouth, what have you fed each other? Because in that instance, every one of those three people can get some of that glorious soup no matter what circumstance they find themselves in. that they, they can't get that soup to themselves. They can't feed themselves. But they can put down their own desires and make sure that the one beside them gets the soup, as can the other, as can the other. And so those three people, and this is obviously a, um, a mock-up of it, you may not be able to see it that well, they fed each other. And the soup kept replenishing and they got to eat and eat and eat. And eventually they were so full that they kept on eating. Who's ever done that before? You know, you're at that point where you're just full, but this is just too good. I, I've just got to keep going. And, and the great thing about feeding each other is there's always somebody to feed you. There's always someone to help you get the thing that you don't have. And there's a warmth. I mean, when you sit, I remember one time I had a friend in, in high school uh, and he had a, a Russian stepmom. And I don't know a lot about Russian culture, but apparently they love soup. And so one of the, I went to his place and there was this soup that was made that sits in a capsicum. Like they hollow out the capsicum and they, they fill the capsicum with the soup and it goes in hot and the capsicum isn't cooked. And then because of the heat of the soup, it actually kind of cooks the catskin from the inside out. And I remember sitting down with my friend and and it was just amazing. And we got through one and guess what? There was another one. She went out and got this other one and brought it out. And it was this most amazing experience. And we sat there and we, we laughed and we talked about stories and we shared what was going on. When you gather around a bowl of soup, something special happens. When you gather around a meal together, something special happens. There's something about that togetherness that really makes a big difference in how we experience life and faith. And we're in week two for those following along, looking at joyful. What does it mean to be joyful? To be filled with joy. And we're going through the book of Philippians. This is the major theme of the book of Philippians. And so Paul has written this letter to the the people of Philippi. It's a church that he planted along with some friends. And, And some word has got back to him that we're going to talk to in a moment, which has led him to write this letter and remind the Philippians, how do you experience joy? So the definition of joy that we're kind of using it as a bit of a backdrop, it comes from the Merriam-Webster version, and it says this. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. And this last line is the real focus for us as we work through this series. Or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. What is it that you Desire. If I was to scratch beneath the surface, what's that thing that's driving you? What are those things that you're just like, if I can just have that, then then it will all be good. And part of the point of the letter to the Philippians is to actually remind the people of church that what you desire is what will bring about whether you have joy or not. So make sure that what you desire will actually bring you a joy that lasts. Make sure that which you seek will bring you a joy that lasts. So last week, uh, Philippians 1, we talked about the idea that there is a joy that you can experience despite circumstances, that it doesn't really matter what's going on in your life. There is a joy that you can have irrespective of what is going on. And we read the quote from Avery Romilla which says this, Joy is a feeling of good, pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than as who we are or what is happening around us. That, That there's actually a joy that we can experience as followers of Jesus and if you're here today and you've decided that yes, I want to follow Jesus, I want what Jesus has for me, that it is possible for you to experience joy even when some of the worst things are going on. That doesn't mean you enjoy those bad things. That doesn't mean you seek those bad things. But one of the bits of hope that we have as followers of Jesus is that even in our darkest moments, there is a joy in the Lord. There is a joy in knowing what he did for us. There is a joy in being able to accept and receive what he has done. And nothing about our circumstances can take that away. So this week, we're going to move on to chapter 2. As I said last week, Philippians is great for a preacher because it's four four chapters. You can do a four-week series and you just pick on a chapter each week. So that's what we're doing, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to explore unity. We're going to explore the concept of unity as a catalyst for joy. What does it mean to have unity? What does it mean to seek unity? What's at the very heart of experiencing unity? Here's one thing that you can take home to the bank. A church that experiences unity will thrive. A church that experiences disunity will not thrive. A church that is somewhere in between will also not thrive. You can be all unified and you'll thrive. You can be not at all unified and you won't thrive. If you're somewhere in between, you will be challenged to thrive. We're going to explore that as we go through. So I'd love you to read along with me, or you can obviously look up in the screens. We're going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 1. Uh, Paul's going to paint the scene here. He's kind of going to give some, some background that he's then going to unpack from there. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So let's pause there. He's given us four characteristics. Well, there's kind of a couple of them are multiple characteristics, but four kind of main points. And he's wanting to say to them, as followers of Jesus, These are things that you have. As followers of Jesus, these are actually a given. If you've got encouragement from being united with Christ, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, if you're like, I've got this great encouragement because I know Jesus, if you're comforted by his love, by his sacrifice, by what he's given for you, if you have an understanding of the big picture of Scripture, If you've got any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, as followers of Jesus, we know that when we decide to follow Jesus, we receive the Spirit. And the Spirit works in us to bring about the works of the Spirit. If you have any tenderness and compassion, characteristics that are to define Christians, tenderness and compassion, If you've got these things, which as followers of Jesus, they're things that we have, they're things that are given to us. It's not just of ourselves, it's a gift from God. Then, make my joy complete. Kind of in third, there is this idea that if you've got those things, that's actually one of the bits of joy. That's actually kind of a summary of week one. That these things come from your faith and understanding of who Jesus is. And that will bring you joy. But there's another level that you can go to. There's another depth of experience of joy that you can have. That that, that is not the full story. Make my joy complete. And he's talking to the people of Philippi, to the church within Philippi. Make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Right, it goes on to verse 3 and 4, and I'll touch on them in a moment, but I want to pause here and, and actually just show you how what he's saying here, each of these is coupled to something that he's just said. It's lost a little bit in the English, but it's very clearly there in the writing. That He said, if you've got unity in Christ... And then he says, make my joy come by being like-minded or having unity amongst yourselves. They're paired together. If you've had any experience of God's love, if you have any sense that God loves you and that he died for you, if you have any sense of what that love is, then experience and express communal love. Love together. Have the same love as Christ had for you with those in the church. If you've experienced this Holy Spirit, if the reality of the Spirit coming into your life has been real, then let that same Spirit be what defines and enriches your relationship in Christ. And then the one that's in verse 3 to 4, which is the connection to tenderness and compassion. If you've experienced the tenderness and compassion that comes from Christ, then demonstrate it through humility and valuing others. we'll, We'll pick that up in a moment. But the premise of Paul's point here is this. If the first is present, if you've you've experienced these things from Christ, then the second should follow. That it's actually a natural outworking of what he has. That if you've experienced this, then make my joy complete. Let it do its full work. Come to fulfillment and do these things. Now, there's a little bit of context that we're going to jump ahead and we're going to go to chapter 4. Are we allowed to do that? Yes, we are. Uh, We're going to jump ahead because there's some context from chapter 4 which actually frames part of the whole reason why Paul has written this letter and part of the whole reason why he is saying what he is now. And we kind of need to know this context to really read this next section in view of what Paul's trying to say. So in Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 3, it says this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntac. Who's going to name their kid Syntac? Anyone? No? All right, cool. Uh, To be of the same mind in the Lord. There's that language. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So, something is going on in the church of Philippi. There's some kind of conflict taking place between Iodia and Sintik. And Paul has worked with both of these people, and he's worked with Clement and many others, and he's not doubting their salvation. He says that their name is written in the book of life. That's code for they're saved. But something is taking place which is so destructive or so challenging or, or, or so difficult that he's felt to put them by name. Like imagine if Paul existed today and he wrote a letter to the church of Austin Cove and he included your name specifically. So, ooh, that's like, it, you don't name names specifically unless there's a real reason for it to be there. And so Paul is, this is not like a, they need correcting, they need rebuking. This is a, I plead with you. Come together. Have that sense of warmth and love for one another. Because your church needs it. So he goes on to say, going back to Philippians 2, with that context in mind, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Sounds a little bit like that story at the start. You will get the soup. If you actually look to the interests of others. That that the church is at its best. That the church will thrive best. When each of its members is actually not concerned about their own needs, desires, wants, preferences, all of those things. But is sold out for the other in the church. And this is, I want to be clear here, this is actually talking specifically to the church. This is not be really good here so that everyone else will. We'll, we'll come to that and Paul touches on that. He's actually sharing this as a. this is the only way your church will get by. This is not about the other though, it has a connection to that. And again, I said we will come to that. This is a your church needs this to live. Value the other. What's required for unity? What's required for unity in the church is that every member values others above themselves. Sacrificially, daily, in every way they possibly can. How? In humility. Humility is a choice. You know, humility doesn't just happen. Like, naturally, the opposite of humility tends to happen. Humility is always a choice. You can also do other things and not choose to be humble and not sin. So, I'm not even sure that Paul's saying here that to do otherwise would actually be wrong because he's put it in the frame of make my joy complete, that that there's another level, that there's a step that you can take that will take you beyond what you just experienced naturally. Sure, keep going through the motions, keep doing what you do. All right, that might be there. But this is what will take you to that place where you truly experience the depth of relationship with Christ. Uh, This is where the idea of church as product and church as family there's a very very big difference sometimes you have two churches that look the same they do all the same things they run your services they do your activities you do your events you do those bits and pieces but then within it there's something that's just completely different one church is going through the motions and doing the mechanics of church and they do them well the other one is family one of the things I was interested in, this kind of been planned because it only happened this morning. But when, when Jade arrived today and Toby, Toby and Jade love each other, like it's, just, it's really cute. But they saw each other and Jade's eyes lit up and Toby's eyes lit up and they just ran, Toby, Jade, and they embraced each other and hugged like they hadn't seen each other on Friday. It's like they haven't seen each other for months. Such was their joy at seeing one another. Do you know that's actually how we're all meant to feel about everybody else in the church? But that's actually church's family. We in our contemporary culture have made it into something, and it's fine. I'm I'm not railing against church as it is. I love church. I've been in some amazing experiences of church. But you know what's more important than the mechanics of church, of running a good service, of having good programs, of having good systems? And I'm a systems and structure guy, so I'm almost preaching it myself right now. If you can get a church that feels like family, whether it's 20 people or 200 people, you won't struggle for growth. You won't struggle for connection. Now, it can get to the point where you're too much like family. And all you do is hang out with the family and you never actually spread out and have any connections beyond the family. That's also unhealthy. Have friends outside of family. But Paul is pleading for his people in the church of Philippi. You've got to be family. Church can't be something that you attend. We can't just be ticking the box on our Sunday morning coming and doing our church service and then going home. If we're to do anything as a church here in Austin Cove, if we're to make a difference in our community, we have to live as family. I wonder for those of you who've been around church for a while. Some of you've been here, I won't ask you to name how long you've been in church. I want you to think back to those times that you remember in years gone past when you were a part of maybe other churches, maybe different expressions or different contexts. And you remember those times when you were just like, man, I can't, life just doesn't get better than this. That, that This experience of church, like, I wake up on a Sunday and go, oh, it's Sunday, I've got to go, oh, I get to see such and such. Like, there's, there's still maybe that sense of, oh but you just know that there's something about the people that you're journeying with and the life and the expressions and you're not just going through the motions. You're not just ticking a box. Church as family. That's the picture that is painted in the New Testament. Not of a place that you go or a service that you run or a thing that you do. It's Toby and Jade going, Ah! I'm so glad to see you. Come here and give me a hug. Except all the huggers go, no, please don't, please don't. Sorry, no, we don't all have to hug. It's okay. You can, you can spiritually hug. There we go. How's that sound? He continues on. If you're not convinced of this yet, let's just take this to the next level. Because Paul goes, all right, there might be some people who still don't quite get this. And he goes on and says this in verse 5. In your relationship with one another... So this is again talking to the church this is not about the one another's out of the church this is within the church in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus surprise surprise Jesus is the model so how do we relate together we adopt Jesus mindset now a mindset is an established set of attitudes held by someone It's a set of practices. It's a way of going about things. So there's going to be something that Paul shares about the way that that Jesus lived. That if the church is actually going to thrive, they have to catch, they have to model, they have to live out. That to rob the church of this mindset will rob the church of its power. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, so here's a truth statement. Jesus was God. Surprise, surprise. Who saw that coming? It's true. Jesus was God. Jesus actually had every right to use who he was to his own advantage. It was not wrong for Jesus to do that. Sometimes there can be something which isn't wrong, but that doesn't make it right. He was entirely within his rights to use that to his advantage. But instead, rather, there is something greater than just doing what is true in this case. He made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Like he didn't just die. He died the worst death imaginable. (laughs) Chose to do that. He had every right to do whatever he had to do to get out of doing that. It was completely true that he had an excuse or a reason or a purpose to not have this mindset. And it wouldn't have been sinful, it wouldn't have been wrong. We wouldn't be the beneficiaries of it, but it wouldn't have been wrong. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen? Therefore is dio. It's the Greek word dio. It's for this reason. That, that this is the reason God did what he did. That, that this is the reason. And don't get lost from it. But Jesus was God to so do the truth himself. That's a circular thing that you just, just have to sit in for a while. And we'll come back to that another time when we talk about the Trinity. But for this reason, because he adopted this mindset, because though he didn't have to do these things, he chose to give of himself sacrificially and die. God raised him Therefore, my dear friends, and he means that. He lived with these people. He ate with these people. He sat and mourned with these people. These were his dear companions. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, before you get too worried about the line that says continue to work out, this is not saying that you haven't gained your salvation yet. This is not saying that you've got to earn your salvation. Uh, Another way of putting this is to bring to fulfillment. It's this idea that when you are saved, you are saved in that moment and then you will spend the rest of your life fulfilling that salvation, to to live out, to learn what it means to live in a saved life. And how? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13, how does this happen? God will work through you. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So our role in all of that is to allow God to complete his good purpose. And then it comes to the easiest verse to follow in the Bible. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, just, let's just go, shall we? Just, just, let's just walk out the door now. Okay. This doesn't mean that you're never going to disagree. This doesn't mean you're ever going to not have any difference of opinion. There's a way. There's a way to express differences. Differences. And so what's very clear from what he's saying about these two women that he's named in this group is they're going about things by grumbling and arguing. They're, They're not bringing it to the sense of unity and making sure that as a church, they go through their difficulties together. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Once you've decided something, this is actually a strength of the historical Baptist approach it's not always easy to live out, but it's part of the premise. Is, uh, part of the Baptist approach is we have a thing called partners' meetings. And that the worst of the worst things can come to a partners' meeting, and it often is the worst of the worst. Unfortunately, it's not always the best of the best. Yes, we vote on visions and things, but oftentimes it's actually because things have got challenging. You've got to come together. But once you decide on something, have your voice, have your opinion, share it in that moment... You're probably going to get some argy you're probably, going to get a, you're probably going to get a bit heated and flustered. There might be times that you feel your temperature rising. Make a decision. And then move together in unity. Create spaces where your voice can be heard and things can be shared and difficulties can be experienced. And then move together in unity. And now we get to this bit that's really important. So that... So adopt this mindset, live this way, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, here's the bit that's about the outside, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Because of the way that you live, because of the way you face your difficulties, because of the way you deal with conflict, Because the church is known worldwide for how we deal with conflict. Yeah? No. But if we do this, I, I can't fix the church global. That's way beyond. But we, we can live this out. We can choose to take this seriously. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. Adopting the mindset of Christ should lead to a different way of experiencing differences amongst ourselves. That we should look differently. That how we go about these things should be experienced differently to the world. And that in doing so, that should stand out. And you know when that's happening in places, because people say, you know what, I hate the church, but there's this church down the road. Or there's this pastor, or there's this group of people, or or my friend who goes to this church, and that's not not what she experiences, that's what he experiences. And there are localised expressions where people can see there's something different. Joy is made complete within sacrificial community. And the thing about sacrificial community is it's a sacrifice. And you always choose to sacrifice. You choose to give. You choose to press in. There are always good reasons to not do it. There are always good reasons, just like for it was completely true that Jesus did not have to to adopt this mindset. Now, we wouldn't have received global salvation if he hadn't done what he did. But it wasn't wrong for him to use the fact that he was God. It's not wrong for us to act and to choose to just go about things the way we do. But as we press in and experience sacrificial community, that's what will lead to the kind of unity and joy that makes a difference in the world. So I wonder, what one question, and then I'm going to have a couple of points quickly. What, does, what makes it hard for you to value others above yourselves? And I'm not putting any specific way or place. This, is, this might just be at home, or this might be in the workplace, or this might be elsewhere. It's just in general. What are the things that you know for you <coughs> get in the way of valuing others Above yourselves. You actually need to identify what are the problems, what are the things that are, are blocking it, what, what are the things that can't... Who gets really busy whenever they try and make a change in life? Like that's one of the most common ones. You make the decision you're going to start getting up and doing things and all of a sudden everything sort of comes in its way to stop you making those changes. You have to identify the things that get in the way of this happening. Uh, so one thing I want to share before I go into another comment is there is a truth to self-care versus self-interest. It is entirely appropriate for you to put in place self-care mechanisms. This is not another, I need to go and do all the things and get completely burnt out and get thrown onto the... That, lots of times that's happened in church and in life, and that's not what the Bible is calling it. It's the best picture is when you get on a plane and they go through the safety thing and they tell you when those things drop, firstly, don't freak out that the plane's going down. Just sort of try and you know, gather, your, gather your merits about you for a second. And it's entirely appropriate. In fact, it's recommended. In fact, you should put the mask on yourself first before you help the screaming child beside you. Good luck. But that's what you're meant to do. Why? Because you are no good unconscious. It's pretty simple. You are no good to the person beside you, unconscious. If you've sacrificed so much to the point where you actually now have nothing to give, you're actually not helpful. It's important to put in place self-care. Looking after yourself is not being selfish. Too often I think the church has said the alternative. But we are called to sacrificially living. We are called to honouring one another above ourselves and there is a tension there. There will always be a tension there and that's the reality. Uh, This week has been a really interesting week for me. I've had some really diverse conversations with lots of people. Tuesday night. Oh, I barely slept all night. I was sort of percolating on this message and, and I kind of feel like God started to stir in me a bit of an idea or a vision or a prophetic word for our church. For for a long time, we've been kind of grappling with and talking with the board and others that I've sort of spoken with and, and we've kind of talked about this idea that, that there must be something that we just haven't quite got just yet. There's, like we, I've had lots of mentors that have come and I had a good mentor come and preach here a little while ago and he came away and I was like, like you run a good service, you've got some really good things going on, you, you've you got the mechanics of church we have but we, have the, we can actually do a lot of the things that we do as a church we can do the things well and I just wrestled and I lay there and I was sort of going through my mind and I think I quit about three times because, like, God, this is too much, Like, I can't do it. It's right. right, I'm not quitting. Uh, but I was just sort of li- listening to you and I, I, I didn't sleep and I woke up and it's one of those times you go, right, did I have a bad burger last night or was there actually something to this? Like is, is this just one of those nights that you have things and you wake up and go, gee, that was silly, wasn't it? Or is, this, is there something to this? And so I just talked to a few different people. It's The way I work out, is this something of God or is this something else? Uh, is I'm not going to decide that myself. I'm going to talk to some others. So I, I just you know, spoke to a few different people as the opportunity arose and across the week it came up again and again and again. And it's a hard word and I, I still feel uncomfortable sharing it. But I got the black eyed peas song, where is the love, stuck in my head all week. Where is the love? It's the warmth. One of the things you know about Jade and Toby is they you know by their expression, I am so glad to see you. So when we come here on a Sunday, is your emotion, I really should go to church. So I'm going to go through mechanics and I'm going to go, but I'm, oh, I'm just there. And Again, are there reasons you experience that? Yes. Yeah. But I think as a church, we're going to need to do some work and not actually just go through the mechanics of church. We can do, what, we can do that fine. We, we could put that down for a while, and we, we might. I'm going to talk with the board about that next week. And we might do things differently for a little while, not forever, so don't freak out too much. Because we actually need to love each other. I know that sounds strange. But we actually need to have that experience that Toby and Jade have. That when you come to church and you look around and you see people, they're not just that person you saw last Sunday when you came along. It's like, you you almost need to be overwhelmed when you come and think about morning tea of, who am I going to talk to? Because I need to catch up with everyone that's here. Like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen them for a while. I need to see them and I need to chat with them. And that we're so, and some of you are freaking out right now. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't actually lower this. Because this is what the Bible says church is. It's not that we just do the mechanics of a service. It's not that we have amazing worship that that's part of it. It's not just that we preach the word that that's part of it. It's not just that we have these times of, of gathering and then we do our little morning tea afterwards and then we go home. We actually have to love each other deeply. A new command I give to you. You love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know. You're my disciples. If you have love one for another. It's not going to be our church service that draws people in. It's not going to be our amazing sausage sizzles. So thank you everyone who came along and helped out with that. It's not going to be the mechanics that we do. It's that when people come, they go, I have to come back. I have to be a part of that. The love and the warmth that I experienced in that community, I need that in my life. Not that we overwhelm people when they come and they're first coming through the door and we like, everyone runs to them. But within three or six months, they should probably have been to someone's house for dinner. Within three to six months, Within the last three to six months or the next three to six months, we should be having people around. We should be, not because it's organized, not because it's structured, not because it's just a life group and that's what we do. It's because we love each other. You spend time with the people that you love. You move heaven and earth to catch up with the people that you love. That's what we need. It's got to be who we are. Otherwise, let's pack up and go home. Because That's the picture of the New Testament church. And it, it, now, right now, everyone's going, but, 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 in your heads. Cause, and I'm going, but, but, but. Like, I, I like my, I've got a really good structure to my week. I've got a really simple, organised structure. And, and I'm thinking, how? I don't actually have the answers to that yet. But I do know that it's sacrificial. And I do know that this is what the scriptures teach us the church is. Love one another. And it says in Acts 2 as a way of wrapping up, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. We get, I'm going to read it. it again, it's the, it's the, the famous verse that everyone reads out, but it's famous for a reason. It's meant to be the picture of what church is. You can tell this was planned. Once I get started, I can just about quote it because I know it. But I've actually got to get there to start with. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. That's verse 1, so that's the context. Now I'm going to go down to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And here's the kicker. If we want to grow, if we want to see our community come to know Jesus, if we want to actually be real and honest in doing this, this last verse is the key. And the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Wasn't there smart marketing? Though that might play a role. Wasn't there fancy activities and programs? Though that might play a role. They were so radically united and community-oriented and had a way of going about the one another's that God said, I have to send them people. I've got to send people into their midst because they will be changed. It's got to be who we are. It's got to be what gets us up in the morning. It's got to be the reason we come together on Sunday. Not because we want to get up on a Sunday. I mean, when was the last time you wanted to get up on a Sunday? Even I don't wake up on a Sunday and go, "Woohoo!" <laughs> Not the thought that I have. It's normally, can I steal 10 more minutes? Like, can I really? Is it, oh, maybe I shouldn't. But then I remember that I get to see you? and I look forward to getting out of bed. And then I remember what I have to do, but that's all right. We're going to take communion. There's a reason why communion is important. There's a reason why. And Just a heads up, this is the last time we'll take communion for a little while. Uh, there is a government law coming in that from the 1st of October, the cups that we use are actually illegal to use. We have got new cups coming in the future. They're not coming till November because they're having to make them. But communion is the celebration of togetherness. The whole premise of this is that, again, in the early church, this was a feast. This wasn't like a little cup and a little bread. This was the time that you came together and you just ate and ate and ate and then there was a moment in the time when you stopped and you remembered the bread and you remembered the cup. And it was an act of unity. It was a, you let go of the things that you were carrying. You let go of the pains and the torments and the things that might have been going on. And you came together and said, I remember again. Actually, I'm going to go forward to it. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when you proclaim the Lord's death together, you remind yourself that everything else that is going on does not matter because today I am unified around the cross of Christ and I am with my brothers and sisters and I am so glad to experience this moment of togetherness with them. And it's a rich experience of reminding ourselves of the love and the unity that only comes from Christ. So in a moment, we'll we'll turn the lights on the back. I'd like you to come forward. There's on both sides, uh, there's a cup and there's small bits of bread. Please take the bread and eat that in your own time. Please hold the cup and we'll drink together. It's a sign of the unity that we desire, of the depth of experience we desire. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I encourage you to take part. Uh, If you're... Whether you're visiting and maybe that's something you're exploring, you're not sure about, uh, you can remain seated, but you're also welcome to come forward uh, and be a part of it. If you call Jesus your Lord and Saviour, I'd love you to be a part of what we're doing. So we can have lights <coughs> in your own time, feel free to come.